Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Good morning, all. Hallelujah. Turn to, in the back of your Bibles, before the book of Revelation, there's a little book called 3 John. Turn to that book, if you will. Just before the book of Revelation, a couple of books before it, there's a little tiny book called 3 John, the third epistle of John. just want to show you this first opening verse, a tiny little book, but it contains something really good. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray your blessing upon the Word this morning. And we gather together as your blood-bought children, and we ask you that everything you have for us will not pass us by today, but we will receive it in Jesus' name. God, open our ears Open our eyes. Give us a, a spirit of wisdom, insight, revelation, and knowledge. And let us leave this place with everything we need for life and godliness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Third John, take a look at what it says. It says, To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy health and, and, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, just look up a moment. I don't know if any of you remember, a few months back, well, maybe about a year ago, we looked at that verse in several versions of the Bible, because it's an interesting little scripture. If you're reading from the King James Version, it doesn't say what it says there. The translators, the interpreters, interpreted it differently. And what it says in King James and in some other versions is that he says, Gaius, I pray for you that you may prosper. So what John is actually saying to Gaius is, Gaius, I hope and pray that you realize that God has provided for you everything you need for life and godliness. Take a look at this. I don't know if you can see that, but it's a bit like going on a journey. And prosperity, if you like, is the case. But in the case, you've got what? Everything you need for life and godliness. You know, you can think of peace is in that case. It's within prosperity. Or righteousness is in there. Or healing is in there. And again, in, in the epistle, in one of Peter's epistles, second, which one is it? Second Peter. He says the same thing. He says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. You know, the truth is, you see, folks, I'm talking about you, right? I'm talking about you. There are no exceptions. The truth is, God has provided you with everything everything his divine power has provided us with everything so where is it <laughs> why can't we access it what's blocking me what's stopping me lord help me see how to receive your goodness help me walk in the blessing and in the favor of god how do i do that well your notes are, are quite extensive this morning but we don't enter in because of three main things either we don't respect the blessing or the way in which it comes, or we don't recognize it, or we don't utilize it. Three different things. Now, once again, look at me a moment. What's a sacrament? What's a sacrament? We, as Pentecostals, as born-again, spirit-filled people, we can throw out the baby with the bathwater. 
And, and we think of sacraments as something that belong to the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church. Some churches have seven sacraments, some churches have four sacraments, some traditions have three sacraments. Do you know what a sacrament is? A sacrament is a physical action that has a spiritual consequence. So we believe in sacraments because there are, there are actually many sacraments. Do you know the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, what was that? A physical action. And that physical action had a spiritual consequence, right? He was able to save us, able to give you eternal life. So the cross is a sacrament in that regard. But what I want to look at is accessing the fullness of everything that God has for us. How do we do that? And I just want to look. We could look at many things. Look at the Bible, look at the church, etc., or prayer. But today, I just want to look at one thing, which really the devil has succeeded in stealing from the church, and it's communion. Now, we should look at this at least once a year. It's been about two years since we looked at it. Many new people join us all the time, but I also need to refresh my mind on where communion stands in my life. Communion is a sacrament, okay? It's a physical action that has a spiritual consequence. And if I don't re respect that or recognize it or utilize it, then don't blame God if I don't have everything I need for the journey. Because one of the things in that case, one of the things he has provided me is communion. Now, I, you know, I, I grew up in a Catholic family. My dad used to get up. We were the first two people. There was a lot of people in our house. There was 11 of us. And my father and I were the first two people up every morning, very early. And what used to happen is he would go to Mass each and every day. And he would have communion there. He was a, a Roman Catholic. And when I got saved, I came into churches just like this. Now listen to me. I got saved, and I came into churches like this, and I met people like you who were born again, Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-believing, and guess what? My dad was more godly than virtually anybody I met. So I was puzzled. I'm thinking, God? My dad's a Catholic. He goes along each Sunday. He's hardly ever read a, a, a page in the Bible in his entire life. So how on earth is he so sanctified? And yet the people I'm walking with, those who have scriptures, they don't seem anywhere near that level of sanctification. And I began to look at my father's life. And you know, he had one thing. Communion. He had one thing in his life that actually strengthened him. And it was through daily communion as I studied him, I realized that's the source of your strength. Because every day, about 6.15, he would get up. About 6.15, I would get up. But he would go to church on his own. The place was empty and go down on his knees. For like 40 or 50 years, he did that. And he would have a daily reminder that he had a covenant with God Almighty. And you know what? There's... The devil was up before my dad. Because the devil doesn't sleep. And he's up very early to remind you how bad you are. He's up very early to remind you how much God hates you. 
And you need to get smarter than that and realize, get a daily reminder to silence the voice of the devil. And that's simply what my dad did. He was able to have a daily reminder of the covenant that he had with God. Fantastic. You see, the old covenant and the new covenant are very different. And that's why communion is important. Who was the old covenant between? It was between God and you, between God and mankind. So therefore, the old covenant was very weak because mankind couldn't keep his part, fell apart. But what about the new covenant? Who is the new covenant between? God the Father and God the Son. It's a different thing. And we get found in Christ when we're born again, we're absorbed, as it were, into Christ because he will not break that covenant. And you see, under that old covenant, it was so weak. But my dad was able to get up, if you like, each morning and go before God and see God the Father, God the Son, and say, you will not fail me. Even though I fail, you will lift me up. You will pick me up. Do you understand? The strength of the covenant, the daily reminder, and the change that brings upon a person. Well, that was simply what he was doing. Now, there are many traditions here. There's the Roman Catholic tradition, which is called transubstantiation. And they believe that, you know, when the priest rings the bell and the, the priest lifts up the, the bread, that it's transformed, that the substance, transubstantiation, it actually becomes the body of Christ. Why do they believe that? Well, I can see some very good scriptures for that. I can understand that, where they're coming from. I don't believe it, but I understand it. So transubstantiation, that's one belief about communion. Then there's another one called consubstantiation, and that was a guy called Martin Luther. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not the body and blood that actually happens. What happens is we have a union, a common union, communion. We gather together with Christ at communion in a spiritual way. And I like that one, actually. And then the last type, so transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and then you've got what our type of groups typically go for, and that's symbolism. And we tell people, oh, well, you see, the bread and wine are just symbols. Yes, they are just symbols. But don't treat communion lightly because of it. Because if you do, you rob yourself. Now, I wanted to look at this particularly today. You know, I love my job. <laughs> I love my life you know, as it is. I wouldn't want to do anything else. But one thing frustrates me. <laughs> ah, yeah. Christians, please. Time and time. Let me tell you what frustrates me. Pradeep and Lethi are back in India at the moment. Now, Pradeep, uh, Lethi's pregnant. She's in her first month. And about... Fifteen days ago, Lethe got a severe pain, crippling pain. She was even admitted to hospital. So she's in hospital for three days. And Pradeep is at home and he's praying, God, heal my wife, God, heal my wife. And it's a bad situation. And as he's at home, he's thinking, you know, God, where is it? And as he's there, he suddenly remembers. We were told about communion. We were told what to do, and I haven't done it. He got communion, he went to the hospital, gave his wife communion, and guess what? Boom. The pain stopped, and she's sent home. 
and everybody's hallelujah. I'm not finished. Keep listening. <laughs> they go home. They get home, and Letty is well again. A couple of days go by, and she starts to get the pain again. Then she's admitted back into hospital again. Do they have communion? No. <laughs> Another two or three days of pain and suffering have to go by. And then Pradeep says to himself, Ah! Oh, communion! That's what it is! And he goes back to the hospital. Uh, all I'm saying is, the frustrating thing for me is, why didn't you have communion on the first day? Why didn't you have communion every day? You see, you tell that to a new believer, and they'll do it. Tell that to someone who's been in the church for 10 years, and they won't. Because they stop listening. It's the same working with marriages. Tell a newly married couple or new believers who are saved what to do and they'll prosper in their marriage. Tell people who've been saved a long time what to do. They won't do it. You see? And that's frustrating because you see people suffer so much because we think we know it all. And we're past putting things into practice. And that saddens me. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says this. Daily they met in each other's homes. Now tell me what they did. For fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for teaching. In other words, in the book of Acts, just after all of this has happened, folks, just after Christ has been resurrected, gone back to heaven, it says the early church met, and every day, daily it says, they met in each other's homes, and they had communion. And I want to run through just a few things this morning that we miss and we are impoverished in our lives if we don't take this seriously, if we don't respect it, recognize it, and utilize it. I'll just explain what we're missing. And the first one is intimacy with God. Turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 says this. This is Jesus talking. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Re uh, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now look at me a moment. First love. In the Greek, protos agape. And it's a very clear piece of scripture here. This is written to the church in Ephesus and this is the first century we're talking about, where there were great persecutions. Now, the persecutions in Ephesus for the early church were for communion. They accused them of being cannibals. They accused them of having flesh and blood and this, that, and the other. And they refuted it, but they were thrown to the lions for being accused of being cannibals, right? Eating flesh and blood. And so many Christians began to stop having communion. You see, if I was the devil, do you know what I would want to do? I wouldn't want, I would want to take off you the most powerful thing you have. If I could take from you your greatest weapon, your greatest strength, I could disable you. And one of the first things we see in the first letter in the early church is that because of persecution, they had abandoned protos agape, first love. And the word first there means that which is above all. The word love is love feast, communion table, agape feast. And they had walked away from it, folks. And that tells a, a, a story, if you like, for us. Because we can do the same things in our life. Second is in Matthew chapter 15. Turn to that a moment. Matthew chapter 15 
and verse 22. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22. First point, we miss intimacy with God when we abandon communion. Second point, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew, withdrew to a region, uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly with demon possession. Any demons in your home? Husbands, don't look at your wives, please. <laughs> and here's a woman here suffering with... De- my daughter is suffering terribly, Lord. Help me. She comes crying out to Jesus. So the disciples came and urged him, send her away because she keeps on crying out. And look at what Jesus said. He answered, I was, not, uh, uh, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, remember, he's sitting at a table. He's got the disciples around. It's the last supper scene, if you like. Sitting at a table. The disciples are around him. And Jesus replies, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. In other words, for me, it's a foreshadow. It's a picture of communion, of the power of communion for deliverance. His body was broken to bring healing to my mind so that I can be sane, right? And have a stable mind, steady emotions within my life. Hallelujah. There's many homes that need that. Now, myself and my wife, nearly every day, I give my wife communion. We get up quite early, and I would pray or go for a walk and come back, and I would give her communion. Now, we are very happily married, and one of the reasons why is because it's, it's nearly impossible to have an argument with someone you've just given communion to. It just doesn't happen. When you've brought Christ into that thing, when you've brought Christ into your home, and I visit homes, and I hope when you come to our house, you feel the presence of God, and you feel a sweet spirit, but you visit some homes, and there's tension, and I know there's no table in this house. Even though we have been told again and again, there's no peace within these walls. Fathers, listen to me. Husbands, listen to me. Gather your family and give them communion. And make peace with one another and peace with God and keep your home covered. What a blessing that is. And for mental health in this situation, it is in communion that we find our first intimacy with God. And I like to start the day that way because I believe there's a bad devil out there trying to get me and trying to wind up my mind, right? And when I remind myself of the covenant I have with Jesus, that puts me on a good footing for the rest of the day. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place of healing. This is where most churches take their refuge when they're looking at communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that which he also passed on to you, and I passed it on to you. And Paul goes through the stuff, you know? And Paul says this, Many many among you are sick. Some of you have even died. And he says the reason for that is because some of you are not discerning the body. And there's all kinds of things that have been read into that. What does discerning the body mean? Now, we have our Christian perspective on that. But listen to me a moment. Do you know what the Jews say? The Jews, Messianic Jews, born-again Jews, they tell us that we're misreading 1 Corinthians 11. 
and they say that what Paul is actually saying, and I think it's a great point, is Paul is saying to the Corinthians, no wonder some of you are sick. You don't even know the difference between the body and the blood. By the blood of Jesus, we are healed. Amen? No. No. <laughs> Not true. By his stripes, we are healed. And by his blood, our sins are washed away. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he says, some of you are sick, some of you are dying, you don't even know the difference of how to discern between the, the work of the body and the work of the blood. Don't you know that his body was striped so that you would be healed? Don't you understand that that's not the work of the blood? You see? And he's just trying to increase our understanding, our respect, and our utilizing, if you like it, forgive me for using that term, off communion, in every part of our lives. What an invitation, right? Praise God. You see, every day when we have communion, folks, I confess those words out of my mouth and I speak over her. I, I, I rebuke sickness out of your body in Jesus' name because his body was broken so that yours would be well and my body will be well because of this bread. And every day before we start to pray, I take that cup and I say, God, I'm not perfect. I do lots of things wrong. I'm a sinner, Lord, but you know what? I've got this cup. And this cup cleanses my conscience. And this cup renders me ready to pray. Like Pastor Tom says, make, make myself aware that my spirit is righteous within me and I can pray. Hallelujah. Well, of course, the alternative is just don't have communion and just go out with a carnal mind and then what you'll do is you'll stop praying because you're stuck in a carnal mind not utilizing or respecting the things that God has given us and that's why it frustrates me with someone like Pradeep who actually translated the book and the chapter on communion into Mariam you know it's so frustrating that you can give treasures to people and see them suffer needlessly. So communion is a place of intimacy with God. It's a place of demonic deliverance. And I want it in my home so that we have peace. Because like any other couple, we could start disagreeing with, just like anybody else. Of course we could. I mean, you try and live with her. I'm only joking. <laughs> like any other couple. So... <laughs> We work hard. I work hard to keep that. And man, are there fruits? There's fruits galore. There's abundant fruit. There's a good life for you, a happy life. The will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. But you've got to do your part. Don't be lazy. Some of you have been in church, if you like, don't take this the wrong way, too long. Too long. Sitting in the same seat and can't hear anything anymore. And then we wonder what these precious truths come to, to, to us and we don't utilize them, we don't respect them, we don't put them into operation. Well, don't complain then. Amen? So deliverance in our homes, healings, and the fourth one, prosperity. Now, people don't like you mentioning prosperity when you mention the cross. But you know what, folks? Please listen to me. Look at me. Where did Christ make you prosperous? You have been made rich. Where did he do that? He did it on the cross. It didn't happen anywhere else. 
Okay, Jesus wasn't poor, by the way. He wasn't poor at all in his life. Okay, it was on the cross that he became poor. Right? Very important. It's crucial. And prosperity is. In fact, the Messianic Jews, that is, if you don't know what Messianic Jews are, they're Jews who get born again, saved around the world. There's millions of them. And they form into groups. There's a big group in London, for instance. And if you were a Jew who was born again, they start reading your Bible, same Bible. But man, they don't have to interpret things quite differently within their cultures. For example, every Friday, within a Messianic Jewish home, the father will gather his family and they will have one of these. Now, you may have seen one of these. I used to deliver hundreds of these because I was a bread man, a bread delivery man for a kosher baker. And, and, and th this, we used to call this a twist. But this is a Jewish prescription. This is a Leviticus bread, okay? It's made up of five, or it should be. <laughs> it's made up of five strands of dough that they were told to place on the breadboard. They were told to interweave them, and they were told to sprinkle them with poppy seeds. That's what the black poppy seeds are. And this was to be a, a reminder, a, in the Jews' case, a weekly reminder of Christ. How? Well, the poppy seeds were put there to remind the Jews that they were rebellious and crunch, crunch, crunch for 40 years. The poppy seeds were to remind the Jews of the sand beneath their feet in the desert for 40 years. And the reason it had to be made of, the, 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 it had to be woven is because to use a knife on the Sabbath was a sin because that's work. You're not allowed to work, right? So it was made like this so that you could pull and not cut. That's why it was interwoven. So to this very day, if you're a Messianic Jew, a Jew who's saved, they have a twist on Fridays. However, once a year is Passover. And at Passover, they use one of these. Now, you'll be much more familiar with this. This is a matzah, a matzah cracker. And again, you can find this in Leviticus. You can see where the prescription was. Look at the matzah. The matzah is supposed to be striped and the matzah is supposed to be full of holes which it is i don't know if you can see them from where you are but it is the matzah bread which is in leviticus is a foreshadow of jesus christ who was striped the bread of life who was striped and pierced so at passover when jews get saved they take before their family three matzah, and the father will hold them up before his family, and he will extract the middle one, father, son, and spirit. And that Jewish man who's found Christ will lift up the son before his family, and because Christ was broken. Isn't it amazing that Jews can't see Jesus? This is in Leviticus. This is in Leviticus. May God open their eyes in Jesus' name. May he open their eyes. It's all over the place. You've got Isaac walking up the hill with the, the wood on his back. You've got the father. Jesus is all over the, you know, the Jewish traditions. And the, but they, they just, there's a veil before their eyes and they just can't see. So you see, the Jews understand the importance of communion. And what the father will do is he will break the son, he'll break the middle bread in two. They will eat one part, 
but it's the other part where the prosperity relates to. He will wrap one cracker, one half of the sun, if you like, and it's called afakoman, and he will hide it somewhere in his home so that it's a year to the next Passover, so that if at any point during the coming year they have a financial need or any other need, they can go and get the afakoman and they can once again celebrate communion together. So you see, prosperity is firmly tied up with communion. With communion. So I give him my poverty at the cross. And my faith increases to prosper because I know his blessing is on my life. It's a place of intimacy, a place of demonic deliverance, a place of healing, a place of prosperity. And it's in, in point five, in one Samuel, it was a place of strength where simply um, David and the men were hungry. And it says they went to the temple and they ate the holy bread, something that would be considered sacrilegious today. But it wasn't because that's the very purpose. The reason that's in your Bible, by the way, is so that you don't get all religious about this. That's not what I'm talking about right? They took it because they needed strength. Number six on your sheets there. Communion is a place of revelation. If you can remember when they walked along, along the road with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know who he was. They didn't understand who he was. And it says this, that as he sat beside them and he broke the bread, it says their eyes were opened at the breaking of the bread. And I would say to any of you who struggle with Scripture, if you struggle in understanding the Bible, you struggle in getting any revelation or edification from Scripture, why not have communion first? Why not have communion at home and then read your Bible? Now, you're going to have one of the most common questions I get asked is, how do I have communion? Listen, that's sad. You just get some bread or anything. I've used everything under the sun because I haven't had bread or, or, or whatever. I've used water. I've used milk. But we try to keep red stuff somewhere in our house. So you just get something and something, some bread, some wine, and you go on your own or you can go with your family. Better still, of course, gather the family together and have that. But just because you're on your own doesn't mean you shouldn't have communion. You bring Christ into your apartment, your bedsit, or wherever you find yourself. Students, have communion. You don't need to be alone. Christ can be your company. Right? See, this is a physical thing, see? Something you can touch. Something real. Something tangible. Point seven, just on your next sheet. Communion is a place where we really do enter into self-examination, a place to look in, out, and up. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's a place to look in and just examine yourself, right? Just to examine yourself. How are you? <laughs> Nobody else is asking you that. That's what I mean by that. When was the last time you asked yourself, how am I? How am I? And communion is the place we do that. How actually am I? How am I doing? It's a place to look in for self-examination. It's a place to look out. How are you treating other people? What are your relationships like? Have you become careless or cold in your relationships? 
And of course, it's a place to look up. That's supposed to say up to God, actually, not to others. A place to put your relationship right with God. Okay? And second last one there. Communion is a place to ease your conscience. And this also frustrates me. I was with a couple of pastors recently in their churches, and they should have known better. I met many members in several churches struggling with their conscience, unable to understand or put into practice communion in their lives. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Look at this. The book of Hebrews. And look at chapter 10. It talks about the blood of Jesus and the blood of bulls and goats. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll read from verses 2 to 4. Hebrews 10, 2 to 4. If it could, would it not have stopped being offered talking about the blood of bulls and goats? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would have no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those, sac uh, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And look at verse 4. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now look at me a moment. Do you know the difference between, do you know the blessing you have in communion? Listen, a Jew in the Old Covenant, week after week, year after year, would bring along a calf or a bull or a goat, and that goat would be sacrificed and the blood would be spilt. The Jew would do that because he had done something wrong, and he felt guilty. But listen, he would bring the bull the blood would be shed, but he left with a guilty conscience. The guilt was never removed by the blood of bulls and goats. 24 hours a day, actually, the blood flowed out of the temple. But you see, the Old Testament blood covered the, of bulls and goats. It covered sin. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover our sin. Amen? The blood of Jesus takes your sin away. Hallelujah. But the blood, and that's what Hebrews is saying right there. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats. It was only a temporary cover, and it left the people feeling guilty, and then they can't pray. And then their lives fall apart. But the blood of Jesus cleanses me from that guilty conscience, and that's why it's so important as a daily starting place, a powerful starting place, because I know I can come through the, the, the shower, as it were, of God's blood and be rendered fit to pray. I'm saddened by the number of people I meet who do, they do something wrong, right? And they do not know what to do. Oh God, I'm sorry. And three months later, they're still backslidden, still in a bad place. And they're still sitting, oh God, I'm still sorry. And God, I tell you folks, with all his heart, God would say, please, wash your conscience. Wash yourself. I gave you communion. And you have abandoned it, just like Ephesus. You have forgotten it. You know what he said to them in Ephesus? Repent and do the things you did at first. The first thing he established 
before he left, right, was communion. It's the first practice at the Last Supper. The first practice that he established for us to continue in was communion. And we forget it and we abandon it. And that is incredibly sad. So deal with your conscience. Purge is the word Scripture uses in some translations. And the last one there, in Revelation chapter 3, just turn to that a moment. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Here I am, Jesus talking again. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will eat with him and he with me. Now, tell me, folks, by the way, the, that letter is the letter to Laodicea. Ephesus is the beginning of the church. Laodicea is us. It's the end times church. Now, could you tell me, how is Jesus going to eat with you this morning? How is he going to... They have forgotten. And time, this is the third time I think I've brought this to you. I have one question for you. Husbands, are you having communion with your wives? Some people say to me, why don't you have communion every week? And my reply is, because that's what we've come out of. They took this communion and they gave it to the priests. They took it off the people, leaving them powerless, as if some special person took it out of the homes and took it to the church and robbed you. And this morning, Christ is trying to get it back into your family. Jim, Jim Tran, gather your family, set them around you, and give them communion. And they will grow up knowing the importance of it. Pastor Jesse, gather your family. Ken, gather your family. Do you know what? If Jeanette never joined me, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. I have one issue, and that's to honor this and watch the fruit come from it. And if you're on your own, no problem. You celebrate communion on your own. You have communion in your home. And watch the change that takes place. Now remember, do you remember the guy that, the boy in Korea? That man, that just blows me away. It was a child in Korea. And the mother was on the roof, a flat roof, washing. And there was a flash flood. Now, flash floods in Korea come like bang. You don't get any chance to move. That's why the people get killed. And she's on the roof, and her little boy is playing in the street. And the flood, she hears the flood, and she runs downstairs, but she can't get to him in time. And she looks down, and there he is. He's riding on a wave, and she sees her son go straight into a drain. And the flood subsides, and the woman's looking into the hole, and the police come but they can't find the child. And some days go by and there's a frantic search, but there was a Christian praying for that child. 
And as it was, it was a lady, and as she was praying, she saw a vision of a mountain pass, a, a crossroads. And she saw a drain in the mountain. And there was, a, there was a cover on it, and under the drain was the boy. But it was above the flood. It didn't make sense. So she came and she said, I've seen your son. He's alive. He's up here. And I said, shh, 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 crazy Christian. But she was so insistent. She persuaded them, come and look. And they gathered round that manhole and they took the hole, they, they, they took the metal off and there's this child standing like that, frozen. And they lift the boy out and he will not relax his arms. He's frozen. And as the time goes by, the hours go by, they say, what, what are you doing? And the boy tells the story. And he said, I was in the street, I was playing, and the water came, and the water swept me away and put me in the hole. And then the man came. The man in white came. And he held up this rope. There was no rope. He held up the rope and he said, here, take hold of that. So I took hold of it. And he picked me up and he put me there where you found me. And I have been waiting for you holding And you're a child of God. And he has left you also something to hold until he returns. You know, some of you, nobody has touched you for weeks or months or maybe even years. And that's sad. And Christ understands it. And he's left you something sacramental physical with a spiritual outcome praise God for communion so will you commit to take it seriously in your life will you and don't let this go to waste I'm going to ask the ushers please distribute the bread and wine and as they do you take a moment to make your peace with God or even with anybody else. If anybody here you have a grievance against, get up out of your seat and go and say sorry before you have communion. Just go right ahead and give it out, guys. Thank you. In the Gospels, it says, And Jesus lifted up the bread and gave thanks. And what that actually means is he prayed a specific prayer, a bit like the Our Father. If I said, you know, Pastor Tom said the Our Father or something, you would know what that means. It means Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But when the Bible says that Jesus lifted up the bread and gave thanks, what it means is he prayed a prayer, a prayer that they knew. And that's it. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed before they ate the bread and before they drank the wine. Just take a look at that and we'll pray it together in one moment. So Jesus gave thanks by saying, Praised are you, Adonai, creator of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. And then as he took the cup, he said, Praised are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine.
Father, I pray whatever the need is, that you would meet it. If it's a need for healing, would you meet it? If it's a need for prosperity, would you meet it? If it's a need for comfort, would you meet it? If it's a need for a happy home, would you meet it? If it's a soiled conscience, would you cleanse it? And today we thank you for the all-encompassing power of the table of the Lord, the power to heal, the power to cleanse and make us whole once again. Why don't we say what Jesus said together before we take the bread? Praised are you, Adonai, creator of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Just take the bread. says he took the cup and let's say this together praised are you Adonai our God ruler of the universe creator of the fruit of the vine let's just take the cup together 